Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Nuss, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're welcoming a special guest to talk about all the great things you can do on Mackenzie Pass a land of volcanoes, alpine lakes, and a miniature castle constructed with volcanic rock. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, this is a special day here on the Explore Oregon podcast because we are joined by Matt Wastradowski. He is a well-known travel and outdoor writer who's written for Willamette Week, Travel Oregon, and a whole bunch of other places. He's the author of Moon Pacific Northwest Hiking, which came out in July, and is currently working on Moon Columbia River Gorge Mount Hood, which comes out next spring and summer. Matt, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So first of all, real quick, Matt, what does the moon part in the title of your books mean? What is what sort of ground are you covering? Like, are those hikes like that you only take in the moonlight or what's happening? <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose you can. I suppose you can. But um, Moon Travel Guides is the publisher of this particular title, which covers 150 hikes throughout the Pacific Northwest. We have 75 in Washington, 75 in Oregon. And the whole goal was to cover the 150 best, most essential hikes around the region, which is a, a very easy task as, as I'm sure you can relate to. Uh, and uh, but yeah, so I wrote the Oregon half of the guide and it covers a little of everything. It covers some family friendly hikes in the Malawas, some more challenging hikes on the Oregon coasts, uh, even some treks down in Steens Mountain, and then a ton of hikes around Portland, Mount Hood, the Columbia River Gorge and the Willamette Valley. So we, we covered the whole state. Wow, that's impressive. So that's the 150 best hikes in like the whole Northwest. So both Oregon and Washington, that's, that's a lot of ground you're covering. Yes. I think I ended up hiking about 450 miles across about 80 hikes uh, that I ended up doing for the book. So it's a lot of fun, a lot of work, but uh, glad it's out there in the world now. Very cool. Well, one thing that's always struck me, uh, Matt, about your work, and you know, I've been reading it for, for a number of years now, is that you've always had cool touches about like the best brew pub nearby or the best place to get food. Do you have a favorite combination like food and outdoor area? Because I always like how you pair those together. Like, do you, do you have a favorite hike and then a favorite meal and, and how those work in concert? When I first started talking to the publishers about the book, they talked, you know, they were really aware of the fact that when you want to go hiking, it's a really experiential thing. Like for a lot of us, a hike isn't truly done until we've had that first slice of pizza, that first beer, we're camping. So we cover a lot of ground. And yeah, after each, after just about every hike in the book, we have a different brew pub or a restaurant you can go to. And one of my favorite pairings in the whole guide is the, the first one that comes to mind is the Hurricane Creek hike to Slick Rock Gorge in the Malawas. Um, paired with a post-hike burger and beer, a terminal gravity brewing back in Enterprise. The, uh, the hike itself passes through some meadows covered in summertime wildflowers, hugs Hurricane Creek at times, and then you get some really beautiful slot canyon views of Slick Rock Gorge, some nice views of different Wallawa peaks. And then back in town, you get, to terminal, you get to terminal gravity, which has one of my favorite outdoor setups in all of Oregon. You have tons of outdoor seating on the brewery's front lawn, 
You have a creek running through the seating area. You have beautiful views of the Willamette Mountains themselves and some really fantastic beer to enjoy uh, while you're relaxing. So that's one that comes to mind. Terminal Gravity is the best. That brew pub is the best. Like, you know, I've, I've stopped there after like three or four day backpacking trips and like, man, it just feels like heaven after like carrying a heavy pack for a long time. And then you get to go there. It's <laughs> man. That's, that's a good pick. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Such beautiful views and the beer never hurts either. Yeah. All right. The plan today is to talk about one of Oregon's most spectacular areas, Mackenzie Pass, located along highway 242. It's kind of a scenic bridge over the Cascade range connecting Western and central Oregon. It rises about over 5,300 feet and connects the towns of Mackenzie Bridge on the west to Sisters in the east. It's open in the summer, but things kind of shut down in winter due to, you know, a ton of snowfall. As we often do, we'll have Zach and Matt go back and forth, picking their favorites in the Mackenzie Pass area. So, Matt, this is your idea. So what kind of sticks out about Mackenzie Pass as a whole? Oh, my God. How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> I really love the sheer variety of landscapes uh, as you're crossing Mackenzie Pass on the Mackenzie Pass Highway. It's about 35 miles long. And if you're coming from Sisters, you will pass through in just 35 miles, Ponderosa Pine Forests, miles along lava flows, some of the region's best Cascade Peak views, um, these really towering mountain forests, winding roads. And then even, you know, at the end of it, you get to Belknap Hot Springs. Um, so there's such a, an incredible variety. You cover so much ground in such a small amount of time. Um, and also the lack of developed services really adds to the rugged charm. I think you have a couple campgrounds, a couple restrooms, uh, especially as you get closer to uh, the Mackenzie Bridge portion of it. That's about it. It's such a, such kind of a remote area that doesn't take a lot to get to and you get a lot of variety when you're there. Yeah, I like what you mentioned about the diverse landscapes because it's one of those places you can really feel the difference in the amount of rainfall that you get. Like, you know, on the east side, you have a very specific Ponderosa forest. And then just over the hump, it's like, you know, Cascadian evergreen forest. And to have those two things so close to each other that you can do it, you know, in one day, you know, very quickly is is pretty striking. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Zach, what sticks out to you? All right, so I've always been kind of obsessed with this idea that Oregon only has one national park, right? It's a crater lake. It's always seemed illogical. I mean, Washington has three, California has nine. Like, they don't have anything on Oregon, and we just have one. Now, there's historical reasons for that, and we don't want to litigate that here, but I've always thought that this area, like the Cascade Crest, centering on Mackenzie Pass and then down to Cascade Lakes Highway, would have made a really great national park. Like, I even came up with a name, so Oregon Volcanoes National Park, because, you know, really, this area between Mount Jefferson, Mount Washington, and the Three Sisters, I think it's probably the most stunning area in, this, in Western Oregon, for sure. The only competition it has scenery-wise, I think, is probably the Wallowa Mountains. And anyway, it's like an interesting road not taken because instead of a national park, it became three big wilderness areas. And I love wilderness areas, but it has issues. You know, it doesn't deal with crowds very well, uh, which some will get to. It's a little disorganized. And I've always thought that if you had like a visitor center like on Mackenzie Pass or down by like outside of Bend, that this could have been like one holistic outdoor destination. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's 100% it. It's um, the views. The views are incredible, and yeah, having having a little bit more 
uh, support because that is one thing that really stands out to you as you travel McKenzie Pass Highway is you leave sisters and you very quickly leave anything remotely developed. You don't you don't have a lot of interpretive signboards. You don't have any visitor center. You don't have much in the way of support services at all. You don't even have cell service for most of the drive. Um, so having you know having a little bit more of a support system would be would be really nice. And I think the views, the landscapes, the hikes, the outings, they all. Um, they're all they're all worth visiting and worth protecting for sure. Well, and it's interesting because I think a wilderness area works really well if the area is like kind of a, a local secret and stuff like that, um, because, you know, you get that primitive experience and it's it's really cool. But as soon as you start adding like the pressure of like a ton of people visiting and look, I mean, the three sisters become a, a worldwide destination. You know, it just doesn't have the mechanisms to, to support all that in the way that a national park would, you know, a national park would, you know, have one center for most of the people and then sends other people off, you know, into the back country with a permit. And, you know, I think of Glacier National Park that way. Um, it does a really good job of, you know, concentrating crowds and use and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's when you bring up a really good point, like, um, you know, you have the Steens Mountain Wilderness in southeastern Oregon. <clears throat> That's remote enough to where it can be a wilderness area, it supports those crowds. It's, it doesn't suffer from overcrowding. But then you look at the Mackenzie Pass and you're so close, you know, on one side, you're really close to Bend and Central Oregon. On the other side, um, you know, you're, you're a morning's drive from the Willamette Valley. Um, so that accessibility really is a good thing in a lot of ways because more people can enjoy it, but it also makes it difficult when you're trying to keep, keep tabs on those crowds as, as I'm yeah. sure we'll see later. So let's go ahead and talk about the best time of year to visit. I mean, obviously we got some summer crowds. What's winter like? You know, what, when's the best time to, to head out there? It's a blessing and a curse. Summertime on Mackenzie Pass is absolutely perfect. The weather never, you know, it never gets as hot as it does in lower elevations like Bend. It's pretty nice in the summer, but that's also when you get the most crowds. Um, the, the highway itself doesn't open to vehicles until usually mid-June or July, early July. Does it closes to vehicles by mid-October, early November. So you only have about four months to really enjoy the pass in a given season um, to, to its fullest extent. I think my pick for the best time to go is late September and early October, just because those are the times that, that I've been there. And mm -hmm. especially if you wake up early in the morning, you know, there's the crowds are pretty limited and, and you can have kind of you can have the place to yourself to a point. Um, I don't know how bad it is with mosquitoes, but typically areas up there can be sort of bad in the back country in like, you know, June or early July. And so, you know, for just about everything in the Cascades, and that includes Mackenzie Pass, I think, you know, September and October are always my, my big go-tos. Completely agree. And I will say, having been there in June and July, uh, the mosquitoes are big enough and aggressive enough to carry you away. So uh, Zach, like if you're out there with, with your girls, you know, put a few rocks in their backpack or something. To <laughs> the mosquitoes are vicious, they're unrelenting. And um, I will say like in June and July, you don't see as many of the crowds early on because of it's a lot of the, the pass is still covered to some degree in snow. Sure. But um, yeah, once you get to late September, early or mid September, early October, you get some, some really cool days. You still have a lot of nice weather and the crowds and mosquitoes have, have all gone home for the season. Well, that's a, that's a good safety tip. Um, I will keep the mosquitoes from carrying away my children and not go there in uh, early June and July. 
All right, let's go ahead and jump into it now. Matt, since you're the guest, we'll give you first selection. What's your opening pick in the 2020 Explore Oregon podcast draft for Mackenzie Pass? Yeah, so um, I'm cheating with this first pick in the draft, and I'm taking two picks. Um, I'm, I, I couldn't decide between Linton Lake and Proxy Falls, so I'm going with both. And I think, I think it works if the, if the committee will allow it because – <laughs> the, two, the two hikes are pretty short. The the hike, you know, to Upper Fall, Upper Proxy Falls, and Lower Proxy Falls, and then the hike to Linton Lake. They're both pretty short. You can do both. If you get a if you get a start by nine or ten in the morning, you can pretty much knock those out by, you know, two or three o'clock. Because um, Matt, they're 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 right across from each other, right? Like the yeah. the two trailheads are basically like on other, either sides of two forty two, correct? Yes, exactly. So the 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 length of it, the 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 proximity, both make them both really really fun hikes. Um, they're a lot closer to the Mackenzie Bridge portion of the uh, the end of the Mackenzie Pass Highway. The so for for anyone who's listening doesn't know the the Linton Lake hike. It's I think about four miles round trip, pretty gradual and infrequent elevation gain through a really magical mix of lava flows and towering forest before arriving at the shores of Linton Lake. And then Proxy Falls is a really great summertime destination. It's only about two miles round trip, 200 feet of elevation gain. You climb through some lava flows, you have the two waterfalls. Um, it's it's a really nice mix of kind of, you get a hint of the, the lava heavy history of the region, but you also get these really beautiful forests and waterfalls and water features that the Cascades are so so well known for so that would be my first pick yeah and i'd add that uh, proxy falls is a is a really good kid hike um just because it's one of those ones where you get the payoff so quick and it's so scenic there's always something to do like with little kids a lot of times you want to keep their interest and proxy falls is, is fantastic for that um i did also want to mention uh, we've talked about this before on our winter waterfall hunting podcast but uh proxy falls is a fun winter trip as well you know we talked about how they close the uh, the gates in the winter once the, the snow falls deep enough and but you can still park at that gate and actually hike up the highway using snowshoes or skis mm -hmm. And then you can get to the trailhead and, you know, follow the trailhead to the waterfalls covered in snow. It's about seven miles round trip. It's uh, definitely a lot harder than it is during the summertime. But for a really cool kind of winter waterfall adventure, Proxy Falls goes from like really easy in the summer to, you know, cool, challenging adventure, adventure in the winter. That's awesome. All right, Zach, give us your first pick. All right. So my first pick is going to be Obsidian Trail. And I'm going to pick that one for two big reasons. Now, hold on. This might get a little long because Obsidian is just fascinating on a whole bunch of different levels. So first and foremost, uh, you know, it's a beautiful trail system. It gets you into the Three Sisters Wilderness right away. And it has a little bit of everything. You've got the green west side forest. You've got the lava flows. You've got a waterfall. You've got spectacular mountain views of Middle and North Sister. You've got Alpine Meadows. And you can do all that on an 11 mile hike, but the namesake is really cool too. The name Obsidian comes from the Obsidian Cliffs here that are naturally occurring. And so Native Americans have been coming here basically since humans have 
inhabited this part of the world because this obsidian is ideal for making everything from spear points to knives. And there are a couple places on the trail where you can stop and check this out. You can, the trail actually like glitters with obsidian flakes. So you pick one up and if you slide your finger along it, like you can actually cut yourself because it's so sharp. And you can see why it made such good material to make tools with. You're not allowed to take the obsidian with you, so you got you got to leave it there. But uh, all those reasons make it a really cool trail. So it's cool to begin with. The other reason that I wanted to pick it first is that it speaks to the history of this area. So back in the 1990s, this area got really overrun with the first backpacking boom. And I've seen pictures and heard stories about this area basically turning into like a Woodstock gathering in the Alpine meadows. Um, like just, you know, toddlers running around naked. Like it just, it, it got a little wild. And it got bad enough that the Forest Service tried out this new thing for Oregon called a limited entry permit system. And it basically means that when you come here, you have to buy one of a limited number of permits and that controls the numbers. And basically what it did is it leveled off the number of people visiting, like the, the, the graph went from like spiking up to kind of flattening out. And, you know, what it did is it kept those levels stable as the second boom has come. So as areas like Green Lake have gotten kind of overwhelmed, obsidian stayed the same and it's kept it in a lot better shape than other places. And the system worked so well that they've actually decided to apply this permit system across the whole Cascade Crest. So across Mount Jefferson, Three Sisters, Mount Washington Wilderness Area, and that's going to begin in 2021. So if you're ever wondering why you have to get this new permit to hike into that area, a big reason is that it just worked really well at Obsidian. Interesting. Cool. Okay, Matt, what's your second pick? Yeah, second pick. Um... I don't think I'm breaking any news here, but D-Ride Observatory is just one of my absolute favorite places in all of Oregon. It's, it's for anyone who doesn't know, it is a, a stone observatory built in 1935 by the Civilian Conservation Corps at the summit of the Mackenzie Highway. So at the highest point on the highway, as you're driving through, through these lava flows, you stumble upon this roadside observatory you can climb the stone steps to the top where you can see Mount Washington, Mount Jefferson, the Three Sisters, Black Butte, Black Crater, even Mount Hood on a really clear day. Um, there are some interpretive panels up there that kind of describe the area's ecology. And, um, and then at the base of the observatory, you can kind of walk through those lava flows on a wheelchair accessible paved path that also has interpretive panels that kind of explain why there's all this lava everywhere you look. So it's a really fascinating place to feel like you're in the middle of these lava flows. You're in the middle of just nothingness, just as far as the eye can see. It's just lava flows, forests, and mountain peaks, and that's it. And it's a really beautiful site to kind of get a feel for what the Mackenzie Pass has to offer and kind of get a, a feel for the, the, the real sweep of, of what's out there. Um, and then if you decide you want to do kind of an, a, you know, an after dark visit, I've gone stargazing out there a couple times and it's you know some of the darkest night skies in all of oregon there's no light pollution within 30 or 40 miles i think um there's a little bit from sisters but not much it's just it's it's an incredible place there's nowhere else like it in oregon yeah i love that i love that area and it's striking you know when you read some of those uh interpretive panels that they have up there like how recent like the those lava flows were created because it's something like 
how young are they? There's like some that are just a couple thousand years old, which geologically speaking is, is incredibly young. So yeah. you get a feel for why it looks like, you know, basically Mordor because, <laughs> you know, these volcanoes just erupted like not that long ago and, you know, spewed this lava rock out there. So um, it hasn't had a, had time to, you know, break down and like turn into the sediment that would allow things to grow on. It's just so young. Yeah. All right, Zach, your second pick. All right, so the second pick, you know, we've talked about Highway 242 gets covered in snow in the winter, but once the spring comes, they typically do something that is pretty cool, which is a snow plow comes up and it plows out one narrow lane down the middle of the highway. And this is usually in May, maybe it's early June. And they do this to facilitate the snow eventually melting and then it opening up to traffic. But what they do is they don't open it up to cars for a little while. So there's this window, usually of a week or two, where you can ride Mackenzie Pass without cars. And it's great for a road biking trip. And really, we're talking about the most scenic highway in Oregon car free. And, you know, if you're a road biker, that is heaven. You have to watch and kind of do your homework to figure out when this all happens, because it changes year to year, depending on conditions. I typically just call the local bike shops and sisters and ask them what they've heard. But once you want to go, so you get your bike and you start riding from sisters, it's typically about it's 11 miles up to and 2000 feet of climb up to D Wright Observatory, which we just talked about. Not easy by any stretch, but if you're an average rider in decent shape, you know, you, you'll get there. Um, the better option, I think, is going all the way up to the top and then not turning around and going home, but continuing and riding the whole route from Sisters all the way over to Belknap Hot Springs on the west side. So you do this difficult climb up to the top, you know, enjoy the views, but then you can kind of coast downhill, like, you know, going from the east side forest into the, you know, Cascadian green forest, and then you end by soaking in some hot springs. So when you bring all that together, that's a pretty good day. Uh, definitely recommend making reservations at Belknap Hot Springs, just so you know that they have space. But, you know, you get to soak those those sore muscles and, and really appreciate it. Yeah, that's uh, – I've actually a couple times have been camping out in Sisters at the, the Creekside Campground just outside of downtown where cyclists are – it's that's their base camp before heading out onto the highway before it opens for the season. And mm-hmm. uh, if you ever want to talk to someone who's excited to get outdoors, uh, that's a great place because they are, you know, it's, it, I think you made a really good point when you talked about how rare it is to have a scenic highway that is one of the most beautiful areas of Oregon, completely car free that, that just doesn't happen. So um, yeah, that's yeah, like a really I mean, fun outing. It doesn't happen in the United States, you know, bar none. I mean, it's becoming more popular, like Crater Lake, I think, has a couple of like car free days and stuff like that. But to have this opportunity every year, it's just like, man, you got to put a star on those dates and and make sure to hit it. One thing I wanted to add, too, is, uh, you know, in the middle of winter, you're allowed to snowmobile on Mackenzie Pass Highway. And I've never done it, but that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, There's outfitters in Sisters that provide everything you need, but, you know, Blasting over, you know, on a snowmobile sounds sounds like a pretty good time because there's a ton of snow at the top. The following message is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council. Did you know that over 80 million acres of our national forest lands are at risk of catastrophic wildfire, insects, and disease? 
Science-based active forest managements, including mechanical thinning and prescribed fire, helps promote resiliency of public lands, ensuring they can be enjoyed for generations to come. The American Forest Resource Council stands for sustainable forests and healthy communities. Learn more at amforest.org. Okay, Matt, your third pick. Yeah, my third pick. I am going to go with the hike to Little Belknap Crater. It is a half mile beyond the D-Ride Observatory. So you're, if you're going to the observatory, you're already in the neighborhood. It's about a five and a half mile round trip hike with about a thousand feet of elevation gain. The first 0.8 mile on your way to Little Belknap Crater goes through a pretty wide open pine forest before you emerge completely and for good onto this impressive lava flow that for the rest of the hike, you are hiking on lava rock. And um, it's a steady yet gradual ascent. It's I would say it's not great for dogs. Uh, the, the rockiness really is not dog friendly, even if they are technically allowed. But the ascent never gets too steep. It, it And one of the things I love about it is that it's a great out and back hike. Like as you're going up, you see little Belknap crater to your right. You see Belknap, the, the much larger Belknap crater to your left. And then as you get close, you start seeing Mount Washington over the horizon. Then you get up to the top of little Belknap crater, you turn around and the three sisters, Black Crater, Black Butte, um, all of these really amazing Cascade peaks are there the whole way. It's not one of those out and back hikes where the views on the way up or the same as the views on the way back, you get a completely different experience on your way back. Um, so I really love all of that. And Zach, to kind of follow up on what you talked about with the the real uh, youthfulness of these lava flows, uh, Little Belknap Creator was only created uh, 2,900 years ago. And the lava flows that you hike through on the way there, they, they, were, they were part of a Belknap Crater eruption only about 1,500 to 1,700 years ago. So That's some crazy. of the youngest lava flows in Oregon. One experience that I had out there uh, when hiking up there the, this past 4th of July, had the trail pretty much to myself. One of the absolute quietest places I've ever been in Oregon. Like when you're standing up there, if you don't hear a wind gust, you hear nothing. You're far enough away from the cars. If there aren't other people around, it is dead silent. And that is just such a surreal and eerie feeling. And when you're in the middle of these, you know, 65 square miles of lava flows, it's just such a such an incredible uh, sense of solitude that you really just don't get everywhere in Oregon. So Matt, I got a question for you. I've I haven't done this hike. It sounds awesome. I've heard that out in the lava flows there are like little tree islands uh, yeah. or something like that. It, what is what is? Did you get a sense for what that was like? Can you describe what those what those sort of look like? Yeah. So and it's it's funny. Um, as you're hiking to Little Belknap Crater, you go through two of these tree islands. Um, how they formed, I can't remember. I wish I could remember off the top of my head. Um, but you do hike through these, and especially as you get higher up and you get toward Little Belknap Crater and you get a better feel for the surrounding landscapes, you do have these, um, they are tree islands, just these these forests that are surrounded on all sides by these really impressive lava flows. Yeah, how they formed, I can't remember. I wish I could. This would be a much yeah. better story. But um, yeah, it is it is pretty surreal to just see these forests in the middle of these uh, these lava flows. 
I'm pretty sure it's, I think it's an area where like some of the rock has broken down enough to the point that it created enough sediment that the, the trees could, could take root to a point and, mm. uh, and grow up there. Um, I'm not sure if that's right, but you know, it just sounds really cool. Cause you always think about, you know, islands out on the ocean or something like that. And this is sort of like the reverse of, of that in kind of a cool way. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a really surreal site. All right, Zach, number three. All right, number three, I'm going to pick uh, Black Crater Trail, uh, which is also on the east side, pretty close to, to D. Wright, just a little bit further on there, kind of on the sister side of Mackenzie Pass. And Black Crater is an awesome hike that takes you all the way up to 7,257 feet. So that's almost as tall as Mount Washington, but you know you don't need any ropes or technical climbing ability to get to the top. It's just a trail that brings you all the way. So you know, like with a lot of these higher hikes on Mackenzie Pass, there's awesome views of the Cascade Crest in both directions. And one of the highlights is at the top, you can see one of the craziest fire lookouts ever built or what remains of it. Like they stuck, they basically had this tiny, tiny outcrop and stuck a fire lookout there surrounded by sheer cliffs. It looks like the most terrifying place ever to have been stationed, but you know, the Forest Service really put forest lookouts anywhere, and this is proof of it. Um, you can still see, like, the bolts and, like, the old stuff uh, in the rock there. But what's really striking about this trail is that it was really torched by the 2017 Millie Fire. So it was actually thought that this trail would stay closed for a long time, but two local trails groups, uh, so Sisters Trail Alliance and Sawyers with Attitude, uh, they went to work on it and got this trail open in uh, in just one year, which is kind of amazing. And so this is a great place to walk through a wildfire scar and kind of watch the forest as it returns. I was there in 2018 when it had just reopened, and it was very black, uh, but you could see little shoots of green popping up everywhere. And I think if you went back there like every year, you would get to see it sort of progress from like, you know, total, totally torched to like, gradually building up uh, a lot more vegetation and given the amount of wildfires we've had lately it's it's just one of those good places to see here's what a burned forest looks like and here's how it looks like five years out ten years out whatever be reminded that it does come back eventually yeah yeah it comes back cool okay matt number four all right um stepping back from the hikes a little bit one place that i adore with all my heart is scott lake campground um which is I think just outside, I want to say just, just beyond the lava flows a little bit on the, the shores of Scott Lake. It's um, really beautiful campground that is great for stargazing as for similar reasons as, as D Wright. You have views of the sisters right over the lake. You have spots that are close to the lake shore. Um, and it's one of the few places uh, where, you know, there aren't any real developed services. There's nowhere to stay along the Mackenzie Pass Highway. You know, if you're you're either staying at Belknap Hot Springs at one end or Sisters at the other. So, and this is the I think one of the only, if not the only, semi-developed campground along the way. Yeah, it's, it feels really remote, even if you're only a 20-minute drive from Sisters. So yeah, Scott Lake Campground is a really beautiful place to to spend the night. So one thing that sticks out to me about Scott Lake Campground is you got kind of two options as far as where you want to put your tents. And I'm curious what you've done up there, Matt, because, um, you know, they have the ones that you can drive your car to, and it's basically like, you know, a normal car cabin experience. And then they've got these walk-in uh, campgrounds 
which I always liked a little bit better because you get a little bit better views from from those campgrounds. Um, have you done either either one of those or both, or do you have a favorite between those two? Uh, so I've done the the car campground, and mm-hmm. it, it gets a little crowded for sure. But um, I've always wanted to do the walk in sites because yeah, they it you get away from the crowds a little bit, and yeah, the views are a little bit better. It's it's um, definitely a quieter experience over there. Well, I think that's what happened. Like by necessity, I had to do that once because I had meant to just, you know, camp the, you know, the, the, the drive-in spots and they were all filled. Uh, but there was a couple of the walk-in sites that were, that were open. I was kind of glad that I did it just because like, you could really be like, you know, come out of your tents and the three sisters were like, you know, staring you smack in the face. Yeah. The views, the views over there, of the sisters are uh, stunning to say the least. So is it specific spots or is it like a free-for-all biovac? Kind of camping area it is specific spots so okay. they're kind of all clustered together but there's specific numbers for each okay. one of the of the walk-in cameras it's not like it uh it's not like it's smith rock all right zach you're number four all right well so this was actually a really good segue for my next pick because scott lake campground is actually the trailhead for it so the hike here is from scott lake to benson lake tanis lake and the top of scott mountain so if you do the whole thing, all totaled, it's right around nine miles round trip with 1,500 feet of climb, but it can also be a lot shorter if you turn around at one of the lakes. So highlights, you know, after you leave Scott Lake, uh, you hike through just kind of a pretty green forest and you reach Benson Lake, uh, just a mile and a half in. Very pretty spots. You can do a quick swim if you want, but the big upside here is that following the user trails along either side of the lake. And particularly if you go to the north side of the lake and climb up, you know, some rugged trails to some cliffs, it takes you to one of the most scenic views in Western Oregon, you know, full stop. Um, it's so scenic. It's actually where our friend Alicia, who is a former Statesman Journal reporter, uh, this is where her husband proposed to her uh, because it's amazing. You're on these cliffs on top of the lake. So you've got the blue lake in the foreground and then green forest running out to just a perfect view of all three sisters. So, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to top. It's one of the best views in the entire state. But then it's worth it to keep going. Uh, you pass the Tanis Lakes, or kind of these pretty forested lakes. And then you climb up Scott Mountain itself. And the view from the top is really sweeping. Um, you can see everything from Mount Hood to the Sisters. And you feel really close to the Sisters at that point. Like you can almost like reach out your hand and, you know, touch the top. I really like the view from the Mount Washington wilderness. Um, the reason I was up there the first time is because I wanted a, a view of the different wildfire scars that had burned in the Mount Washington wilderness area over the years. And that's kind of the best way to, to view it because you, you have a view of Mount Washington from a different angle than you normally do if you're coming over like Sandia Pass. The whole trip is nice, moderate difficulty. It's never exhausting or super steep, but feels like, you know, it's meaty. Like, it feels like you've, you've been out there and, and had a good adventure. I mean, I would put this in one of my top 10 favorite hikes in Oregon, just full stop. All right, Matt, it's your turn to bring us home. Your fifth pick. Fifth and final pick is a pretty, pretty easy hike. It's the hike to Hand Lake. Um, I have a little bit of a funny story behind this, but um, it's a nice introduction to the Mackenzie Pass, even if you're not much of a hiker or you're pressed for time. It's about... <clears throat> one mile out to the Hand Lake Shelter and the Hand Lake Shoreline. It's mostly flat. I think you might gain about 100 feet of elevation. It's not too bad. And it's a nice introduction to the McKenzie Pass, and it's 
wide variety of national nat natural features. You can you pass through a really nice forest. There's some quiet meadows, calm mountain lakes. I think you even get a view of Mount Washington from out there. Um, the the trail extends beyond the Hand Lake Shelter, and it heads out to the Santiam Wagon Road, um, which I think also follows the path of an old Indian trading route from centuries ago. I will say, um, just personally, I have only hiked to the Hand Lake Shelter because when I did this hike, it was in the middle of July and the mosquitoes were so bad that I said, whatever's beyond the shelter is not worth the pain and suffering that I'm going through right now. So I will say the hike to Hand Lake is absolutely gorgeous. It's well worth it for a nice nice overview of the region. And if you want to continue on to the Santiam Wagon Road, I just hope you have more mosquito repellent than I did. Okay, Zach, what's your fifth pick? Bring us home. Yeah, I'll bring us home with uh, two really beautiful mountain lakes. So they are known as the Matthew Lakes. And they're two glorious, sparking, sparkling little pools set in you know the lava and forest pretty close to the summit of Mackenzie Pass. Uh, the hike begins at Lava Camp Trailhead, uh, just past D. Wright Observatory. And you follow the, the Pacific Crest Trail for a little more than three miles to reach them, or you can do a, a seven-mile loop. So on the trail, you come to North Matthew Lake first, and it's just got this cool little island set up against a lava flow. Um, it's, it's protected, and so if you want to go swimming, if it's a warm enough day, it's a, it's a good place to do that. And then you can continue up the trail, and South Matthew is super scenic because you actually have a view of North Sister just like peeking up overhead as you're kind of sitting on this sort of windswept pa uh, pass. Really beautiful spots. Um, this area was also impacted by the Millie fire, but have heard recently that it is not too bad. And either way, you'll, you'll normally have plenty of company here because it's on the Pacific Crest Trail. It's also become a pretty popular hike. Um, you know, for people that head up to D right and look around and want to find a mountain lake, uh, this is the one that they usually uh, find out about. So great hike, um, but just, you know, think about coming midweek or something like that. All right. Is there any places uh, you guys maybe want to give honorable mention to? You got anything, Matt? Boy, uh, I think we hit the highlights. Gotcha. I, the only place that uh, stuck out to me is, uh, I haven't done it, but I think it's actually continues where you, you might have been heading, um, Matt, and that's the Scott Trail, um, which I think is part of an old trading route. Um, but anyway, it's, it's supposed to be fantastic. I think you can connect it to a bunch of other trail systems. So the Scott Trail is worth checking out, but before you do it, do your homework since obviously I, we don't know a ton about it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, funny that you mentioned it now. Um... I haven't done this hike. It's high on my list, but have you done four in one cone up on? I, I've heard about it. I have not done that one either. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard good things. I've seen some really beautiful photos, but I haven't done that one either. That's high on my list. So that gives you a sense of how good this area is. I mean, we hit uh, more than ten places uh, just talking about these, and there's there's still a lot more uh, to be explored up there. So, lot lots of terrain to check out. Definitely. All right, Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about how beautiful Oregon is. It was a blast. Awesome. Or thanks for being here, Matt. Well, that's all the time we have left for on this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast. As always, if you like what you heard, check out our previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com slash explore. We have a growing back catalog of destinations 
all over the state to help you plan your next outdoor adventure. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for the economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org.